0: Well, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9 this morning. And we're continuing our summer series, Changed Minds, Changed Lives. And an important question that we have to ask when it comes to our minds is this, who do I trust? What are you putting your trust in? Who are you counting on to see you through? Now, that's an important question for us as believers in Jesus Christ to consider. Because it's crucial for us to have our hope, our eyes, our trust fixed on Christ. Trust. What is it? It's a word that expresses the idea of counting on something or someone. It means that we believe that the object of our trust, our faith, will deliver on what it promises and what it stands for. Now, during Jeremiah's time, if you had asked the average Israelite living in Jerusalem, and primarily that's who Jeremiah's message was to during this time, if you had asked the average Jewish person in Jerusalem, who do you trust? Like so many in the church today, guess what their answer would have been? What's always safe in a religious context? God. God. And those words come pretty easily, don't they? But what we find when we look at people's practices in their belief system, they trust in other people, other things, not God. Certainly, that's the case with Jeremiah's contemporaries. Think about the historical context that surrounds this passage of Scripture The northern kingdom, ten tribes, had been taken captive by the Assyrians. Now, no doubt, the people of Jeremiah's day in the southern kingdom looked at that and said, well, they deserve it. They messed up. They're terrible human beings. They deserve everything they got and probably a lot more. But when we look at The culture of Jeremiah's day and what was taking place in the southern kingdom, their continued existence was only by the mercy of God because they were just as guilty as the northern kingdom of terrible sin. They lived in a broken and sinful culture. They were worshiping other gods. They were making alliances with Countries that stood opposed to God, and as a people, they were not trusting in God. They were trusting in their own ingenuity and in the nations that were around them to protect them, completely contrary to what God had called them to do in His Word So as we begin this passage of Scripture, what we're going to see is a comparison and a contrast between two paths. One path seeks to trust in man and moves away from God. The other path trusts in God and moves toward Him. And what we want to see as we look into this text is the thinking that leads people to that but also the outcome of that kind of thinking. So let's carefully unpack this passage of Scripture, and let's see what the Word of God has to say to us, and by the way, this is included in the eternal Word of God. This is not just a historical lesson. This is a passage of Scripture that we can glean truths from for our lives today, and that's what I encourage us all, myself included, to do as we come to this text. Now, the text begins by talking about those who put faith in human strength, and it speaks of the foolishness of this kind of thinking. As a matter of fact, look at that first verse, and what we find is when we follow man as opposed to God, that removes us from God's blessing. Look at that first phrase that we find after thus says the Lord, "'Cursed is the man who trusts in man.'" Now, when we look at this word cursed, what does it mean? In order to understand it in this context, we have to look in the Scripture, and what we find is this, God entered into a covenant relationship with Israel, and as His covenant people, they were promised blessings and curses as far as how they followed the covenant. Now, let's define what we mean by covenant. Covenant very simply means an agreement, an arrangement that is entered into between two parties. When it came to the covenant that God had entered into with Israel, in Deuteronomy it speaks of in the 30th chapter a coming together with God as a people and God saying that if you follow me. I will bless you and I will prosper you. And by follow, what God meant was, be obedient to me and make me alone your God. That was the idea of the blessings that would come to these people. But with the blessings were also warnings in the form of a curse. And the curse carried with it the idea of God having them move outside His protection and His provision, and experiencing the consequences of sinful behavior as a result of their choices. What God warned the people of Israel of was this, look, if you depart from me, if you leave me, if you start trusting in other nations and following other gods, then I will not provide for you. Some of the curses included God cursing the land and that the land wouldn't produce and I will not protect you. As a matter of fact, right in that passage, the Word of God warns the children of Israel that they would actually be taken captive by other nations and be taken out of their land into the land of other nations. We know that that happened to the southern kingdom when the Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem and exiled the people of Jerusalem to Babylon. So when the Word of God brings up this word curse in the prophet Jeremiah's passage. What it's warning the followers of God with is this, look, when you choose a different path and you choose not to follow God, you are removing yourself from the blessing of God. And that was true for people in their day, and let me say this, I believe it's true for us today. When I choose the path of disobedience, I will still have a relationship with God, but I will not have fellowship with God. I will not see the blessed life that comes from obedience to God and following Him as a part of my life. I will experience the consequences of the sin that I engage in. I am putting myself in league with those who are cursed of God because of their rejection of God. So this is a real warning, not only to the people of Jeremiah's day, but it's a warning to all who claim to trust God, but trust someone or something else. It's a foolish path to follow, something else that stands out. That passage that says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. There are two words that are used here in this first phrase. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. And it's that word man that I want us to look at, not only the word cursed. Man. There are a couple of options that can be used in the original Hebrew for the word that is translated in our English Bible, man. And the one that Jeremiah selected in this passage is the word for man that literally translated means dust or dirt. It's the Hebrew word Adam or Adam. Adam was brought forth out of the dust. But I don't think that Jeremiah is going back to the creation story as he uses the term Adam. I think he's making a point. When you trust in man over God... You're trusting in dust. It doesn't last. It has no strength. The only value that that clump of dirt that God brought together, formed into man and breathed the breath of life into, was God. The Spirit of God that was given to that lump of clay. So what Jeremiah is pointing to is this. The insufficiency of man. We should never look at man and say, this is the person that I need to put all of my stock in, all of my confidence in, all of my trust in. Now, some of you may be asking, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? What are the ways that I trust in man? I think that we can trust in politicians, which is very foolish, (laughs) looking at the things that they promise and saying, here's our hope. Here's what we can count on. Certainly, that's what the children of Israel did, much to their dismay in the Old Testament. We can trust sometimes in spiritual leaders. We will take a spiritual leader and put them on a pedestal, and then what happens? They fail us, sometimes significantly, and then as a result, we become disillusioned and disappointed. We live in a broken world with broken people, so we need to guard against that. Probably, The person that we trust in most often rather than God is ourselves. We try to find a way. We try to get over on a situation. And somehow it will come together if I just work hard enough, try hard enough. I have self-reliance. I can pull these things off. What God is saying to us in His Word is this. Don't trust in dust. Don't trust in those things that cannot provide what only God can provide. The psalmist said the following. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish You see, the implication of this and Jeremiah's passage is this. Man is temporary. Even if there is a person who has proven trustworthy and someone that you can count on, they don't live forever. So that person that you've trusted in dies or becomes too weak, too ill to provide for you in the way that they once did. If that's where our trust lies, we will find disappointment and disillusionment. We need someone stronger, and that someone stronger is God. That's why the psalmist says this in Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. God is the ultimate object of trust. He can and will deliver, and He never dies. We count on God through life, we count on God at death, and we will see that we can count on God for eternity because of who He is. Something else we find in this passage, faith in man rather than in God is self-defeating. Look again at this fifth verse and notice this warning. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. And then look at the outcome of that kind of thinking. It will lead your heart to turn away from the Lord. Listen, when I trust in man, when I make flesh my strength, I'm going to be let down. Now, what does the Bible mean when it talks about making flesh our strength? Again, it is this idea of the material. Those things that are seen. Those things that we can measure, that we can interact with. That is the flesh. It is our own effort, our own strength. That's the idea of flesh. And listen, when I make flesh rather than God who is spirit, my strength, my strength is weak. It cannot, it will not deliver. In fact, when it talks in this passage about making flesh our strength, it means to put it up on a pedestal, to set it up over us, to allow it to have authority over us. We can do this through self-alliance. We can do it by supplanting God with man. But the passage of Scripture is warning us that we're backing the wrong horse here. We're following the wrong path when that becomes our way of operation, our way of thinking. And look at what always happens as a result of it, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When I trust man or any other object rather than God, it's not like I can continue to pursue God and to pursue these other things. It's an either-or proposition. And if I am turning to these things, it means I am turning away from God. That's the warning. And notice the passage of Scripture talks about the heart that turns away from God. There are many people that I talk to who are considering doing something, and as they're trying to weigh out whether it's right or whether it's wrong, I know all of you have heard this, but many will say, just follow your heart. Perhaps some of you have even spoken that. Let me tell you something. When we look at the Word of God and we see the description of the heart, that is something that's not worthy of us following. Look at the ninth verse. In the ninth verse, we find a description of the heart. The heart will turn away from God. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Who can understand it? Think about what's being expressed in this passage of Scripture. When the Word of God tells us that the heart is deceitful, it uses an interesting word in the original language for deceitful. It's the word that the name Jacob came from. And if you remember, Jacob's name meant deceiver. I think that Jeremiah was making an important indictment against the children of Israel by choosing that term, deceitful, and using the name Jacob to express it. What is a deceiver? A deceiver is somebody who says, look over here, and the whole time they have ulterior motives that are at play and at work. And isn't that true of our hearts? Our hearts can say, you know, I'm doing this with the purest of motivation. But in reality, what's going on is we are manipulating and trying to have our way and trying to impose our will on a situation. If I trust in the heart, that's the path that I'll go down. God wants us to trust in Him because verse 10 reminds us God is the one who searches the heart and tests the mind. If I really want to have a perspective on what I'm thinking and what I ought to do, I need to turn to God's eternal Word where He has revealed these things. My heart will twist it and distort it. God's Word will express truth. Something else. As we look at this passage of Scripture, it says it is desperately sick, even beyond all cure. The idea is this. Our hearts are sick. Apart from the redemptive transformation of God, where He transforms the heart and changes it, I will pursue sinful inclinations, sinful thoughts. I need a new heart, a new life that's given to me by God. So if I am trusting in my heart to make decisions and not in the Word of God, I'm going down the wrong path. The last statement that that ninth verse makes concerning the heart is who can understand it. Man, we look at the things that people do and we wonder what was going on in their heart that would lead them to do that. Last night, case in point, where these wicked individuals took the lives of innocent people going about their day wickedness. We can't understand it. It's beyond our comprehension how people can do these things. Well, the Word of God tells us how. Sin and wickedness and evil, that's what drives the human heart. And until and unless we turn to God and have God transform that heart, any one of us are capable of those things. Something else we see in this text. We see that our heart can turn away from God. What happens when our heart turns away from God? The passage goes on to describe for us the life of the person who excludes God and trust of God from their life. And look at how this person is described. Verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert that shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Now, let's look at this illustration. So the person who excludes God from his life, who is under the curse of God because of their choices to abandon the blessing of God, what can he expect? He's going to be like shrub brush. Now, if any of you have been in a desert region, you've seen... Little spindly looking shrubs that look half dead. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word that's translated shrub in our English Bibles, it means desolate. It is the Hebrew word desolate. The idea is something that may have a little sprig of green here and there, but when you look at it, you would assume it's mostly dead. That's the picture of the person who trusts in man. Man. And does not trust in God. It's a picture of something that is just barely giving any evidence of life. And it merely exists in the environment that it's in. It doesn't spring to life, it doesn't bring nourishment or life to other things. It's just there. What a picture of the lives of so many people who are trusting in other things rather than God. They simply exist. They're kind of there, but that's it. There's no flourishing in their life, no abundance to their life. This is what God's Word warns us about in this passage. Many of them lead very unfulfilling lives until finally their life is over. And they die bitter and disappointed because they never had the bounty, the blessing of God. We need to understand that this is the path that we choose when we choose to trust other things rather than God. Look at how else they're described in this sixth verse. They will not see any good come. Now, the way the ESV translates this, they will not see any good come, I I like the way the New American Standard translates it a little bit better, and it renders it like this. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. What's the difference? Here's the idea. When you live a life that doesn't trust God, and you're trusting in material things and the other things that can replace God, even when you experience the fulfillment of your hopes and you get the things that you had hoped for and wished for, you know what happens? They play out. Even when your definition of prosperity is fulfilled, you remain unfulfilled because these things cannot provide what only God can provide. We fool ourselves into thinking that they can, or perhaps they will, but they never do. The prophet Haggai said this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And when he who earns wages does so, to put them into a bag with holes. Isn't that a fulfilling life? You exist, and that's it, apart from God. Look at what else Jeremiah tells us in this passage. You will dwell, that is, your, your existence will be in a parched place of the wilderness. Loneliness, exclusion, and you will be in an uninhabited salt land. Now, no doubt, when Jeremiah was talking about this, not far away from Jerusalem is the Dead Sea region. And that salt area of land, very little survives because salt kills stuff. That's the picture of the person who trusts in man rather than trusting in God. It's an existence, but you never flourish. You never get what you had hoped to get because man and other things cannot deliver on what it promises. Well, this would be a depressing sermon if I left it right there, wouldn't it? So we're going to finish out the passage by talking about faith in God. It's the only path that really makes sense. Look at verse 7 and you see that following God is the only path to blessing. Here it says, quite simply, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Now I want you to contrast that with the fifth verse. Fifth verse, trusting in dust, which leads to cursing. Verse 7, trusting in God. God is Jehovah. In your English Bibles, when you see the word Lord with all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capitals, that is the Bible translator's way of indicating that they are talking about Jehovah, Yahweh, which roughly translated means I am. In other words, He is the self-existing one. He is the one who exists forever. When we contrast the living God who is the unconditional loving God, who keeps His promises with man who cannot, why in the world would we trust in man over God? The Word of God is calling us to trust in God and see the blessing that God brings into our lives. That very simply is what's being communicated in this passage of Scripture. Man has limitations. It's foolish to put our hope in Him, but God is God. No limitations. He lives forever. The psalmist said this, Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. It's not a great passage of scripture. That's our God. That is who we trust. Not man who is fickle, who is faithless, but God who keeps his faith forever, always holding to his promise, always keeping his word. The word of God is calling us to pursue God rather than man. Something else we see in this passage. The faithfulness of God is steadfast and forever. Again, we look at this title, Lord, and we see a reference to the covenant-keeping God. Remember that name was first revealed when Moses saw the burning bush and asked God who was speaking to him through the burning bush, sending him to the children of Israel, whom shall I say sent me? And God's response was, I am. I am that I am. In other words, always existing, eternity past, existing now, always existing into eternity future. This is God. This is the one who remains faithful. This is the one who keeps on keeping on with His promises. That's why it makes sense to place our trust and our hope in Him. The psalmist says this in Psalm 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. That's who God wants us to count on. This is a promise from the faithful God that He blesses you as you take refuge in Him. It's incumbent on us to do that. Isaiah said this, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Do You want stability in your life? You want the ability to continue and maintain in the face of great difficulty? Trust in God. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on Him. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is what? An everlasting rock. Boy, they could not have picked greater terms, more powerful terms to express how we can count on God. And so the Word of God is calling us to do just that. God wants us to trust Him in that way. Finally, look at the last part of this passage, verse 8. The foundation of a secure life is the Lord. Look at what the 8th verse says. He is like a tree planted by water. Now again, comparison contrast. person who trusts in man, a little shrub in the desert, barely alive, just kind of tucked away, hoping that a camel doesn't step on it. Right? Contrast that with a tree planted by a stream. Part of my ministry, I was in Fort Collins, Colorado, semi-arid region. We would get tumbleweed every spring. The Chinook winds would come out of the mountains. And there are these little shrubs that had roots about that deep and about that wide. And the winds would come and they would blow those. And every year I had to borrow a friend's truck to collect the tumbleweed that had blown up against my house and my fence and haul it off to a field where it could blow on someone else's house. (laughs) Right? No depth, no stability, tumbleweed. But then there were these irrigation canals that Had some holdover trout that I would like to fish in. And every once in a while, a big carp, which was also fun, but inedible. So, by these irrigation canals, there were cottonwood trees. And where the shrub was minuscule, I could not get my arms around a cottonwood. Its roots sunk deep into the soil, where there was water that would bring fresh nutrients those trees, and they were massive. And listen, when we had a dry spell, the tumbleweed tumbled, but the cottonwood, the leaves were still green. It was still strong. Those mountain-fed streams that were coming through Fort Collins, Colorado by the snowmelt kept those trees strong. Do you get the imagery that Jeremiah is using in this passage of Scripture? Look, when we count on God, we have that never-ending source of God's strength. The tumbleweed did fine when there was a quick rain and when the wind didn't blow. It had some roots that went in, but as soon as it got dry and windy, poof, they're gone. Cottonwoods stand strong. Even in the drought, they continue to stand strong. Which life would you want to pursue? Or a better question might be, which best describes your life? Are you a tumbleweed? Just getting blown here and there? Or are you like that cottonwood that's sinking its roots deep into the resources of God and the truth of God? This is how God wants us to live. The Apostle Paul shares this with us. It's a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And his prayer is that according to the riches of His, referring to God, of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a description of that cottonwood tree. That is our life because of Jesus Christ. Trust in someone or something else and you will be sorely disappointed. This tree sends its roots into the stream. And and look at the next part of this. It does not fear when heat comes. Now heat, in this illustration that Jeremiah is giving us, refers to the trials and difficulties of life. When you have your foundation in Christ and your roots sunk deeply into Him, you don't fear those trials. The leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. Sometimes there's not just an event of heat, but there is the duration of a drought. Sometimes we go through some terrible droughts in our lives. If all I'm doing is counting on man, I'm going to be the tumbleweed. But when I count on God, God sees me through the drought, and I sink my roots even deeper into Him when that drought comes. Look at the last part of this passage. It does not cease to bear fruit. Now, cottonwoods don't bear fruit. They bear cotton, so maybe I should have picked another tree. But you get the point. Bearing fruit is what God wants of His people. It is good works. It is evangelism. It can be any number of things that demonstrate that we are trusting in God and walking with Him. When we trust in God, we will bear fruit. When we trust in man, including ourselves, we may give the appearance of fruit, but here's the problem. The fruit that we bear can be rotten. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, or the tree is known by its fruit. I guess a question that we can also ask ourselves is this, what kind of fruit am I demonstrating? A fruit that is dependent on God and that is producing, or a fruit that is dependent on man that looks okay on the outside, but not so good on the inside? This is how God wants us to trust in Him. This morning, we've seen the importance of trusting in God rather than man. And this passage of Scripture really was calling the people of Jeremiah's time to a decision point. Who will you follow? Who will you trust? And let me say this, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is calling on believers to have that decision point as well. As one who has trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, have you continued down the path of trusting Him for everything in your life? Or did you trust Him as your Savior and now you're trying to reboot and trust someone or something else? That path does not work. Let me also say this, perhaps you have never come to the place to where you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You related to what I had to say about that tree that was in a dry and deserted land. You feel dried up and dead inside. Listen, Jesus Christ said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. Other translations render it abundant life. Christ can deliver you from these things into that life that knows God and finds that strength to get you through life itself and bring you into life itself, which is eternal. What does it require? Turning from self-alliance. I can be good enough for God to accept me. Turning from reliance on other people. Well, you know, I was born in a Christian home, so obviously I'm a Christian too. It's coming to the place to where we look and we say it's a reliance on God. He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for me that I might find forgiveness and a right relationship with Him. May I encourage you this morning, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, at the conclusion of the service, I'll be by the back door. Dan will be around here. TJ will be around here. Jim, who read the Scripture, would love to talk with you, any one of us would love the opportunity to talk with you and explain how you can know that you have that personal relationship with God and can experience the life that's described in this passage. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the call to us all that would have us trust in You. You're inviting us, calling on us, to make you the focal point of our hope and trust. God, may we be wise enough to do it. Father, if there is one here this morning who has not come to that personal relationship with you, God, let them make that decision this morning to abandon self-trust, to abandon the belief system of this world around them, to turn from sin to you and to find a relationship with you.